feeling is a, uh, is a problem in our society. You know, we, we see the, the problem of stealing all over the place. and In fact, it's so prevalent, sometimes people use it to their advantage, even if they aren't the ones stealing. I read about a taxi cab driver in London who years ago decided that uh, since so many things disappeared from his cab, he would each day start his shift, wrap up his garbage, put it in a package in the back seat. By the time his shift was over, it was gone. And uh, he'd gotten rid of a problem. There's a minister who was preaching on this commandment, Thou shalt not steal, one Sunday. And he began by asking the congregation, to everyone to raise their hand, who had ever stolen anything, however insignificant it might be. He also raised his hand and admitted his guilt. Then he went on and preached a sermon on stealing. And the next Sunday, his sermon was on lying. And he said to them, Now last week I said, Those of you who stole something, raise your hand. Some of you didn't raise your hand. This sermon's for you. <laughs> I'm not going to make us raise our hands this morning, but I suspect, I suspect that our response might not be all that different from that congregation. Because I'm not sure we realize how ingrained the temptation to steal is in our sinful natures. Ingrained in us that the willingness to take something that belongs to someone else or to take something that doesn't belong to us is obviously a problem not just in general society, but for God's people. But we can't forget, as we've talked each Sunday going through the Decalogue, that these commandments are first and foremost given to God's people. And therefore, there must be something about stealing that concerns God, even for his own people. And I think that we need to, we need to see that, and we need to grasp that, and we need to acknowledge that. No, we, we know that, that stealing is, is a problem for us personally as well as for our society at large. We, you know, some people say, well, the, pro- the answer to stealing is that people just shouldn't know anything. Everything should just be communal. But the very fact that we have this commandment tells us not only that it's something with which people struggle, but the underlying assumption is that people are going to have things that others want to take. That we have possessions, and that's okay. And the thing about our possessions is that they, they sort of become a part of us. We become attached to them, whether sometimes too much, but, but even in a positive way. Some of, the most, some of the possessions we are most attached to are not the things that have the most material value, but often the things that have the most sentimental value to us. And if someone were to break into our home and to take those things, we would be left feeling a sense of being violated and insecure. And one of the things that stealing does for us as a society is it creates a sense of insecurity in us about where we go and and what we do with our possessions and how how we can hang on to them. But it's a whole community-wide problem. Stop and think how much money and time and energy 
we spend just as this nation because people steal. We, we have to put locks on our doors and, and we have to put locks on our cars because people might steal them. We, because we're afraid people might steal our money, we have banks. And because we're afraid people are going to rob the banks, we have vaults and guards and security systems and, and armored cars. Because of the, the new threat of, uh, that comes with the Internet, of both stealing credit card numbers and stealing our identities, we have all kinds of, of, of software on our computers that are intended to protect us so that people are less apt to steal from us. You think of all the hoops that we have to jump through just to get what is rightfully ours because the people who are holding the, these things for us, a bank or an institution of some kind, has to be certain, they have to verify that someone is not trying to impersonate us, either physically or cybernetically. And all the money and time and energy that we spend as a society and a culture because people steal. And stealing tears at the very fabric of our, of our sense of security as people. And we are left with great insecurity, and we worry, and we're afraid, and we protect, because someone might steal. Now, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that, that people steal. And some of them you may have even said yourself at some time. Well, that's a bad law, so I don't have to follow it. Or I'm above the law. That's a law intended for those people and the things they're doing. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Or I deserve this. It, it, it's, it's what I ought to have. And, and so I have every right in the world to take it. Besides, these people have more than they need. They're going to miss it. Insurance will cover it. I, sometimes we may think that when it, when it comes time doing our taxes. You know, we fudge a little bit on our deductions. We don't report all of our income. I mean, after all, like the government needs our $200. And it, like the government spends the money the way we think they should? Like there isn't waste in our government? And so we rationalize some of the decisions that we make. We can even rationalize more personal things. It's just a few paper clips from work. I'm out of paper at home. Nobody will miss it. A few long-distance phone calls that the business pays for, who'll notice? The problem is those little things become bigger things. You get away with stealing something small, and the temptation to steal something a little more becomes harder to resist. And a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. I guarantee you the people who you know you may read about who who steal money from the treasury of, of a municipality or from a charitable organization never intend, never start out saying, I think I'll steal a hundred thousand dollars. 
In fact, most of the time, I don't think they intend to steal anything. But it just becomes easier when they steal a little bit and they need a little bit more and a little, little bit more. And pretty soon, they're standing in front of a judge in the courtroom. At the heart of all of those rationalizations is our inner selfishness. All of those excuses that we give for why we take those little things are because we are self-centered. And we make self-centered decisions. And we think, what's the big deal? It's just a small thing. I read about a man who was up in actually in the Buffalo airport. This was years ago. And he was in the airport sitting, waiting for his flight, and there was a, a young boy there selling newspapers. About a quarter, as you can tell, it's been a little while back. And um, he had a stack of them there on a table, and he grabbed a handful of them, put them under his arm, and was walking around selling them. And this man who was there waiting for his flight noticed a, a businessman walk up, nicely dressed, nice briefcase, you know, just looked like the kind of person that just success is kind of written all over them. And he watched as this businessman walked over to that stack of papers, and when he noticed that the young boy was looking the other way, grabbed one off and stuck it under his arm and walked away. And he said, I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's just a quarter. It's a quarter. What's a quarter? They got in line to eat something in a cafeteria type thing and had my tray. And this same, it just happened that the same guy who stole the newspaper was in front of me in the line. As we were going along, I watched him as he reached for some pats of butter, little things. They were like a nickel. And he took one and he picked up his saucer and put it under the saucer. And they went to the checkout and didn't pay for it. I said, I'm thinking again, it's just a nickel. Five cents. What's the big deal about a quarter? About five cents. He said, the more I pondered that, the more I realized if he's willing to do that, what is he willing to do in his business? What's he willing to do with, with the other areas of his life because it's never limited to just a nickel? It's never limited to just a quarter. It's never limited to a few paper clips. It's never limited to a ream of paper. It's never limited to those little things. Because once we, once we do those things, it becomes so easy to do a little bit more. Because we are selfish people. And our self-centeredness often drives our decisions. And if we feel like it's what we deserve, it's just, there's a strong pull to keep doing it. We have this sense of entitlement. I deserve it. it you know, and I, I should get it. And that entitlement often comes out in, in this mindset of, I want something, but I don't want to be inconvenienced to get it. So I'll just walk around what's right and get it that way. I suspect that, or I've wondered many times if that isn't something to do with why the church has such a hard, difficult time filling up the ministry positions in the church. I want, I want our church to reach out to the needy, but I don't want to be involved. 
I want our church to have great programs for our children, but I don't want to be involved. I want our church to, to connect with our youth, but I don't want to be involved. And there's something about living with a mindset of not wanting to be inconvenienced that's at the heart of that. Stealing isn't just about money. If it's about money, it's always going to be about other parts of life. And often, if it's about other parts of life, it probably is going to be about money too. It's that holistic perspective of who we are, how we think, how we live. That selfishness that drives us, that says, I'm going to put myself first. Other people, too bad. And of course, that struggle to steal in all of its forms tend to be the people who get ahead in this world. I mean, they tend to be the people who have power and wealth and fame. Not all of them. But you see it. You watch. You hear it in business. People in big business will say sometimes, oh, hey, that's what you have to do. That's life. If you don't do that, you're going to be trampled. That's just the way it is. It happens in the church. I've been intrigued the last year or so to, to follow a discussion in, in various literature among clergy about the ethics of preaching someone else's sermon and not giving them credit for it. Now, my first thought was, there's a discussion about that? That that's ethical? But there is. I'm amazed at, at how many people feel there's no, nothing wrong with that. What's the problem? There have been some pastors in large churches who have been removed from their positions because it was discovered they were preaching other people's sermons and not giving them credit. And the responses to their situation has been different. Some of them have been very remorseful, but others have been indignant. Hey, look, i got too much to do to prepare a sermon every week. I've got too many responsibilities. I've got other things that are taking my time. Why should I waste my time preparing a sermon when I can get one from someone else? And, of course, the pull is that the kinds of sermons that you can download off the Internet or you can get in books or you can get off tapes or CDs, those are the, typically the best of the best. You know, most publishers don't print books of bad sermons. You know, you don't typically find a lot of people downloading poor sermons off the Internet. And so there is a sense of, of saying, hey, not only am I saving myself time, but I'm doing a lot better than I would have done before. And it's in academics. You know, we, when you steal someone else's work and labor... You come into a, an exam and you haven't given yourself enough time to study, you haven't prepared enough, you aren't ready, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, all right, I'm in trouble here. If I just use my own abilities today, it's not going to be pretty. But they're doing pretty well. What's the big deal? I mean, I didn't come to school to get D's and F's. I came to school to get A's. This will get me an A. 
And we all know that temptation. A temptation to circumvent what is right for what is easiest. You know, the problem we, with the circumventing is that we tend to live with a mindset of short-circuiting processes. We tend to think, I'm going to take the path of least resistance. But God is typically not interested in us taking the path of least resistance. See, the problem is we tend to think about the end result, and God is much more concerned about the journey. We're thinking about product. God is thinking about character. We're thinking about getting to that point. It's the point that matters. And God is saying, I'm taking you on a journey. It's far more important that you follow me on the journey than it is if we get to the point that you think is so important. But without that mindset that God has, we're going to continually try to short-circuit, circumvent, take the path of least resistance. Someone has pointed out that, that when Jesus goes into the wilderness and faces the temptation of the evil one, that in a sense what the evil one is, is doing is tempting Jesus to take a shortcut. Jesus knows that, that there is going to be no salvation without the cross. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion. People only can be redeemed by the shedding of blood. And the enemy comes to him and says, look, you want to get to that end. Fine. Why go through all of that? These people want big. They want fabulous. They want flashy. So why don't you just turn those rocks into bread? Why don't you go up on the steeple and jump off? That'll get their attention. You, you do all of these amazing things, you'll have more people following you than you know what to do with. And Jesus' response is to rebuke him. Because that's not the way of God and his people. And I suspect probably... Most of us are not going to, to be people who break into other people's homes. We're probably not going to find ourselves on the side street of some metropolitan city with a gun or a knife in someone's back. We're probably not going to steal people's credit cards off of the internet. But is it possible that we will live our lives trying to circumvent the processes of God. Thinking about shortcuts. Thinking about the path of least resistance. If it was a temptation for Jesus, it will be a temptation for us. But this temptation about stealing is not just about us individually. It's about how our decisions affect the whole world. See, one of the problems with our world is that, is that every time we steal, it affects other people. And we think maybe it doesn't have any bearing on other people, but it does. 
And one of the ways that, that, that it bears on other people is that it, we, we contribute to a culture that causes people in certain circumstances of life to feel so hopeless and so helpless that they believe that there is no other way out of their circumstances except to steal. And unfortunately, our culture and our society far too often puts that into people's minds. And it's so easy for us unknowingly to contribute to that. You know, Stuart Briscoe talks about uh, the world as people, world, dividing the world into people of haves and have-nots. And when we think of stealing, we tend to think of the have-nots taking from the haves. I mean, and that's stealing, right? You know, the, the have-nots break into people, break into the homes of the haves and take what they, what they have. The have-nots hold a gun to the, to the, the head of the haves and, and take what they have. And that's stealing. And God is concerned about that, and he has some things to say about that. But what's intriguing is that actually when you read the scriptures, God has much more to say and is far more concerned about the haves stealing from the have-nots. And we say, well, how can that be? I mean, what do they possibly have to steal? That's the point. It's not about need, it's about greed. And far too often in our society, the people who steal are sometimes the people who have a lot, much more than the people who don't have much of anything. The people who have nothing steal because that's their only means of survival as they can see it in their world. They feel hopeless and they feel helpless and are thinking, there, there's no other way to put food on my ta- table for my family. But the have steal because they're greedy and power hungry and never have enough. I mean, do you think that the, the people who are at the center of, of the Enron scandal were wondering where their next meal was going to come from? I don't think so. These are people who earned salaries of millions of dollars every year and yet stole the money from the employee's pension fund. And you see what what that kind of activity does in the mindset of people who feel hopeless already. And they, be, they, they look at these people and they see what they do and often what they get away with because it's the haves who have the resources to bribe judges and juries, to manipulate the stock market, not the have-nots. And you look at society and culture and you can understand why there are people who feel as though the only alternative they have in life To survive is to steal. And we ought to be doing everything we can to fight against that culture, that mindset, that way of living. We can't change it all. In fact, we may think, what in the world could I possibly do? 
We can't change it all. But we can do what God is calling us to do in the moment with the people around us and the people in front of us to try to bring about a different mindset in society and culture that is so prevalent. The bottom line, I think, for us as God's people is that God is looking for people who are committed to not stealing in all of its forms. But God is also looking for people who are known by their generosity and their trust. God isn't just saying, don't steal. I think when you read the scriptures, God is saying, don't even think about stealing, but instead the solution to that is be a person of generosity and a person of trust. When people think of you, they think of a generous person. And instead of thinking, what can I take, we're thinking, what can I give? That's true with one another. It's true with God. You know, the prophets have a lot to say over the people about robbing God, about not bringing their tithes into the storehouse. The command about the first fruits. I really thought much about the first fruits of the summer. We were out picking blueberries, and the first time we went, man, the blueberries were huge and plump and just gorgeous. Tons of them. We went back a week or so later, and they weren't quite as big anymore. And there weren't as many of them. And we went the third time, and they had shrunk a lot, and there were even less. And I realized all of a sudden that God is not just asking for what comes first. He's asking for the best. And a sense of generosity toward God. And when we talk about tithing and giving to the church, what we're really talking about is giving to God. And I know there are people who say, well, you know, we're under grace, not under law. And that's true. But as someone remarked, whatever gave us the idea that God wants less from us under grace than he does under law. He just wants us to give, not out of compulsion, but out of gratitude, out of a heart of generosity. And our mindset is, how much can I give? Not how little can I give? But it's also about trusting God. At some point, our refusal to steal in whatever form it takes is an acknowledgement that God is good and that God cares for us. Someone has said that the antidote to this commandment is is what Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 4, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God will supply our needs. We don't have to manipulate things. We don't have to circumvent what's right. We don't have to go through all of that. God will supply our needs. And even when God doesn't supply them in the way we want, we trust. That's part of that journey on which we travel with God. We believe that traveling the journey with God, even though he takes us through valleys and dips and we we face rocks and all kinds of of issues and problems, journeying with God is still better 
and the shortcuts that we take to get what we want. So this commandment is a call for generosity with one another and with God and a call to trust God with all of our lives. I think really stealing is is less of a legalistic issue and, and more of a trust issue. We choose not to steal because we believe that there's more to life than possessions. That there's more to life than just getting what we want. That there's more to life than just figuring out the fastest and easiest way to get to the result we're looking for. That there's nothing more important than trusting God with our possessions, our time, our energy, ourselves. Are we on this journey with God? Or are we trying to think of ways to get around to get what we want? Is our goal being with God? Trusting Him, surrendering to Him. I pray that it will be for each of us. Father, in many ways this commandment is a hard word for us. We wrestle and struggle because we want. We're selfish. We feel entitled. Father, give us grace to be generous and to trust. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.